Hello, hello, and welcome everybody back for another episode of the Marvel Galaxy Podcast with your host, truly, Evan Cormick. Today, we are talking about Mandalorian and nothing but the Mandalorian. As I teased in last week's episode, there has been a lot going on for this series so far. A lot of positive and negative reviews revolving around the Mandalorian. So we're going to take a dive into what I have thought so far of every episode that we've gotten as well as, you know, spoilers and why I feel as though, like I've been saying for weeks on end, if you don't, if you haven't seen Rebels, watch it now. I sound like a broken record at this point, but what I think is so important is because there are little things, right, that we realize. And in those little things, if you understand the references they're trying to make and what they're trying to set up, you can kind of see why I have so much more excitement than I feel like what the rest of the Star Wars community is. So, what I'm trying to get at is The Mandalorian overall this season has not seen very positive reviews. It has been given kind of like this negative connotation of their storytelling is going nowhere, most of the episode is filler, and the ending the last like five minutes is where the actual plot progression takes place. We're going to do a little bit of a backwards review, sort of, because this is very prominent in the latest episode, Chapter 22, Guns for Hire. What I mean by that is the entire episode is then based on... It's the, the episode starts off... Again, I know I'm recording this literally a day after the episode came out, so spoilers ahead, but I will try not to bring any major spoilers. Um, basically... Bo-Katan and Din discover, like, you know, that there's these pi- this pirate crew, we'll say. We won't give them their actual names in the show. This pirate crew that is tasked with getting a prince back to his Mon Calamari people, which was really awesome. It was a little shout-out to Clone Wars because we had that whole, like, three, four-episode saga where Anakin and Padme really helped the Mon Calamari people in their kind of little debate that they had. But... Then uh, Mando and Bo-Katan and Grogu, of course, go to the planet Plazir, I believe, as I'm, as I'm saying it correctly, um, to where they meet none other than some celebrity cameos, which, again, I will not, I will not get into because I don't want to spoil it because that's part, of the, that's part of the excitement, and I realize that not everybody watches this the Wednesday that it comes out, um, although most people probably do just because it's like, oh, it's just one episode. It's not, you're not binging a whole series. But nonetheless, the entire episode is basically them finding out a different problem that Plazir is experiencing, whereas instead of just going after the people they were there for, the entire episode is just spent with them solving this problem. And I I get where people are coming from because this is a very interesting plot point that they have given us. And I believe we only have two episodes left. All right, so so far where we're at in the plot is that Bo-Katan is supposed to reunite Mandalore, right? And Din Djarin has really been like a side character in this, in this show. And that's kind of what people really have not been liking. But I kind of understand why they're doing it because... They are, this is, this is all setting up for something, and I feel like we aren't grasping that. It has the same effect. It, this is no different than Book of Boba Fett, right? They introduced Mando there, gave you some gaps 
so that then when we appear in season three, we do not have to waste time showing you how he got Grogu back. So far, the feedback for both Book of Boba Fett and this season of Mandalorian have been negative. People really do not like it when another character comes in and quote-unquote takes over an entire show. I get that, but I also see, like I said, I see what they're trying to do, and what they're trying to do is bridge gaps between shows, movies. This is all setting up, whether we like it or not, I said it last week, this is all setting up to show us how we got to the sequels, right? But this specific season is setting up the Ahsoka show. So I believe John Favreau has said before that season four is already written. They're just waiting to produce it. I feel as though in season three, we'll get back to here's Mandalorian. What is him? What are him and Grogu doing? It's just this season is very necessary to set up Ahsoka, which is believed to be coming out later this year. So it makes sense as to the plot progression for Mando has slowed, yes, but the plot progression for Mandalorians and Bo-Katan's character has significantly increased during these episodes. You'll see, I ho- hopefully you'll see what I mean as we kind of go through each of the episodes, but we have, starting off with Like I was saying beforehand, with Chapter 22, Guns for Hire, they do that entire side mission, but then in the last, like, five minutes is her finally catching up to those pirates, showing those pirates who's boss, and then Din Djarin kind of does this really cool thing that kind of sucks, but also I understand why they're doing it. The reason I'm not saying it now is because I will get to it later on in the episode, so that way, if you don't want any spoilers for Chapter 2, or Chapter 2, Chapter 22, excuse me, You can click away, or you can, you know, come back at a later time, or you can just keep watching. It's entirely up to you, because I really hate spoilers, because for the past two weeks with The Mandalorian, I've been scrolling on TikTok, and I saw, you know, reveals for both of the big cameos that were supposed to happen, and that really upset me. So I'm very against spoilers. So without further ado, we have Chapter 17, The Apostate, and that is where we get reintroduced to Mandalorian. Here is him and Grogu. We're excited. This is Season 3 hype. Um, They visit the High Magistrate on the planet Navarro, which is a shout back to Season 1. That is where the Mandalorians kind of stemmed from and kind of where we got reintroduced to everybody. So they basically meet back up with their buddy, and then that's kind of where the episode leaves off. It was a very disappointing uh, first episode. Um, Got some good Grogu content, got some interesting, you know, Mandalorian action. But we still have this focused sort of, it's just Mando, it's Grogu. He is going to continue his destiny to redeem himself from taking off his helmet so he can be back a part of the Creed back in the way. Now, what people had a problem with this initially was in seasons one and two, it took him forever to finally break the creed, break the way, show his face, show his face to Grogu, start letting through more of his emotions instead of being just a cold, heartless bounty hunter. So people feel as though in season three that he has had some character regression to where it's like, why is he so, 
you know, convinced that he can go back to Mandalore to be able to redeem himself. He should be going back to Mandalore to try and restore the people, restore his people, because he believes in them so much. Prove to them that, hey, we can be, you know, Mandalorians. We can take off our helmets. We don't have to be, you know, bound to the creed. We just got so comfortable with seeing Din's face, especially in, in interactions with Grogu, that it kind of takes away from the emotion of everything because now he's kind of cold-hearted and all that such. So they go to Bo-Katan, they ask for help. She says, get the hell out of my face. And then they said, fine, screw you. We're going to Mandalore anyways. And she said, well, good luck with that. It's impossible. So chapter 18 and chapter 19 kind of, well, not chapter 19. We are going to save chapter 19 because I have a lot of criticism for that. Chapter 18, which was episode two in this season, they go back to the mines of Mandalore um, Mando goes on his own adventure. We see some very cool, you know, explorations of this. I believe chapter 18 was also where we saw the first Easter egg. It might have been in chapter 17. I can't exactly remember. But we saw the Easter egg of Grogu being able to see Pergils in space while they were jumping to hyperspace, which was absolutely amazing. Again, shout out to Rebels. They are setting things up, people. You need to see Rebels if you haven't already. So I'm, j- I'm going to say it. Many, many times, but it's gonna, it's just exciting. It really is. When I saw Grogu being able to see the Pergils, I kind of lost my mind because I was like, holy shit, like they're calling back to rebels. This must mean that something is getting set up somehow. Maybe Grogu is connected. It was just, it was a really amazing thing to see. So chapter 18 was great in a lot of ways. We saw Mando and Grogu get to battle some stuff out, but it was mostly interesting when uh, when Mando got captured, and he just, as he's kind of passing out, he tells Grogu, go get Bo-Katan. And it's very interesting because then we see Grogu go on his little own adventure. It was the first time we really had seen him go on an adventure all by himself without Mando. And obviously it was, you know, he's like, what, he's 50, but in human years, he's like probably like three or four. Like, he's still a child. Right. He can't fully talk. But it was just interesting seeing him do his little jumps and flips character progression. Right. From when we picked off from Book of Boba Fett when he was training with Luke. And now he knows how to kind of jump around and actually use the force to his advantage. There was a time jump. All right. John Favreau said that the time Mando and Grogu spent apart was actually two years. So it was a two year gap between the end of season two and then Book of Boba Fett. So I find that very interesting. So that that leads us, that kind of clears everything. It's a cheap way of clearing everything up, but it's at least an answer nonetheless that, okay, cool. Grogu has two years of training under his belt um, with a fully powered, like Luke Skywalker, like Grand Jedi Master type stuff. Um, So it was nice to see Grogu go on his own little adventure. It was so cute. He went back to go get Bo-Katan. And then the ship lands and she's like, what the hell did I tell you? Like, get off. And then she cuts herself short because she just sees Grogu pop out and just be like, ah. And she's like, oh, shit, Mando needs her help. Um, That chapter 18 was very good compared to chapter 17, where it was a little disappointing. It was still good, but it was like, okay, cool. Maybe they're warming us up. Chapter 18 was amazing. They finally found out that Mandalore, you know, is not toxic. It is just a ploy by the Empire, that it's completely breathable down there. It's just in ruins because it's been abandoned for so long. We see Grogu go on his own adventure. We see Bo-Katan wield the Darksaber. We have seen her wield the Darksaber before in the past, but it was nice seeing her in live action just immediately pick up that Darksaber and just whoop some ass with it. It it was fantastic. It was spectacular. I really did enjoy that. 
But we also got to see that Mando finally got his wish, where he was able to go to the mines of Mandalore and be able to redeem himself, except he got pulled under. His armor was too heavy. So he got pulled under, and guess what pulled him under and knocked him out? The Mythosaur. Bo-Katan has seen the Mythosaur. Now, this is a good turning point. We wondered, is she going to tell the other Mandalorians? Is she going to tell Din that she saw the Mythosaur? Is she going to keep it to herself? What's going to happen with that? And interestingly enough, we then move on to chapter 19, where part of it, we kind of see, hey, Bo-Katan is actually going to tell people about the Mythosaur. She tries telling the armorer. The armor at first calls her bluff, but we circle back to that here in a couple other episodes. But Anyways, chapter 19. So after the amazing chapter 18 that we had, we finally get a 58-minute episode. Which, for Disney Plus shows, it gets fans really, really hyped because we don't get a lot of that. Because for some reason, Disney Plus shows love that 30 to 45-minute range, right? Which is really stupid. It always rushes the storytelling, and it's... I'd never like it. Now, 44 to 45, you know, sometimes 50 minutes, that can be good. We saw that in Chapter 18 with the Minds of Mandalore. I didn't feel like it was incredibly rushed. I feel like it was a good, well-put-together episode. Like, we didn't really miss out on much. We got our fill for the week. Got some plot progression and so on. Whereas in Chapter 19, it was very nice to see Coruscant how it is now, seeing how all of the Imperials kind of fit into the New Republic. Um... But other than that, that I was one of the first, one of the first episodes of a Star Wars show that was not Andor, that I literally sat there and I was just like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, it was, I, like, I'm serious. And I know that's, like, very harsh to say and very, like, crude, but I was just sitting there like, this is not Andor. This is not, you know, hour-long episodes just to tell a boatload of plot and get some character progression. Everything that happened with the Doctor and the former worker for Moff Gideon could have easily been put together in like a 10 to 15 minute montage. I didn't need to see him at work. I didn't need to see him sleeping. All I needed to know that he was the former, you know, Doctor that tried to experiment on Grogu. I needed to see his speech given in front of the council. I needed to see him meet the old Imperial officer. We could have had that talk in the courtyard. Then we could have cut right to the thing where she like drops him off biscuits and he's like he you know instead he should have been like whoa how'd you get the biscuits you know that's really amazing and such but I understand that they really had to push home the point that the doctor has changed and it was the old imperial officer that really did not or she's just working as a double agent I get that and every time that she has popped up since this episode, my blood boils because I really do not like her. Um, so I get why they did that. I just feel like they could have condensed it to whereas it didn't need to take up the full 58 minutes. That the 58 minutes could have been done exploring more about how Bo-Katan feels about seeing the Mythosaur. Maybe her telling Din that she saw the Mythosaur, seeing if he can talk to the armorer. Um, but... Let us, let us progress, because that literally was all that chapter 19 was. And then at the end, she finally goes, you know, hey, by the way, I saw a mythosaur. What all does that mean? All right. Chapter 20. I really liked this episode, but again, falling into that simile of it is just too short. 
There's not enough going on for me to be like, wow, this is amazing. This is the best thing ever. It was a 32-minute episode. And when you know Disney Plus shows tend to have five minutes of credits, we are getting like 27, 28 minutes roughly of action. And that is not enough when it is a limited show and the fourth episode, I believe, marks the halfway point. I, I don't like it. Like, what? why? Why are we doing this? Um, but the Foundling basically splits everything in half. All of the Mandalorians go to save Paz Vizsla's son who was abducted. There's some critiques in there, but, I mean, it's kind of like minor critiques that are just really weird. Like, at the end of the show, they take all of the babies from the creature that captured Paz Vizsla's son, but you never see them again, and they randomly have a giant slab of meat, and you're like, how did the people and the creatures and the slab of meat just fit in there? Like, what? Where did they get that from? To whereas you could literally add maybe four to five minutes onto the episode, make it a 37-minute episode, and just simply explain how the hell they got all the creatures in there and where they got the slab of meat. Boom, problem solved. But instead, you cut that short, we just get back to the planet that they're hiding out on, and then all that happens is they're just like, hey, we, we have these little baby creature things. Maybe we can learn to ride them someday. And the episode ends. So instead of turning it into just like, oh, that's something silly, a couple jokes, now it is a giant plot hole in the entire story that just adds on to the list of other shit that they didn't do right this season to make fans more angry. So that's a other problem that Disney has a lot is there's a really simple small feature that if it gets left in, terrible problem. But if you take just two minutes explaining and fixing that problem, no one bats an eye. But... The Foundling also explores Grogu during Order 66, which was absolutely amazing. We finally found out who saved him. And it was Jedi Master Kelleran Beck, who was played by none other than the actor that played Jar Jar Binks, Ahmed Best. And a side note from this, I really love the fact that they got best to play this again because for those of you that don't know when the phantom menace came out it was widely widely hated this is where the kind of hate for movies so let's attack the actors really came from um it was the same thing that uh little kid anakin faced but uh best really dealt with it rather harshly um he was belittled and made fun of and just downright harassed and bullied for how much people hated Jar Jar Binks, that he was very close to just taking his own life. It was So it was one of those things where Star Wars affected his life so much that he almost lost it because fans decided that it was a great idea to be able to attack somebody because they don't like someone's character. And we've seen this pattern happen with Rose and with Reva. Listen, I hate Both of those characters. The Clone Wars animated show kind of makes you appreciate Jar Jar Binks a little bit more, but whatever. But Rose and Reva absolutely hated their characters. It's not the actor's fault. It's not their fault that they were cast to portray a character that was written and used poorly. We should be blaming the directors, not attacking anybody. You know it's bad when Ewan McGregor has to take to social media to tell everybody to back off the actress that played Reva whenever the show premiered. But it was very nice that uh, 
best came back to play Kellerin Beck, who was a very highly skilled Jedi Master in swordsmanship, and he basically trained all of the Jedi and took them on little excursions to be able to make them better swordsmen. So that whole scene was really amazing. I kind of like it that they did it that way. Um, it does kind of suck that we get, didn't get a big named like, oh my god, like did Mace Windu or did Ploku, did somebody that we haven't really seen for a while in live action save Grogu or, I mean, dare I say, even Anakin maybe saved him to be like, I know that might be Yoda's kid. It probably isn't, but Yoda, it's Yoda's species. And I have respect for Yoda because he always looked out for me, so I'm going to save this one. But anyways, it was very nice. Um, it was very good great scene. So I loved that. And then towards the end, it was it was kind of nice because we got, even though Grogu can't talk, we really got a good kind of montage of his feelings to where she was banging on his armor plate that she was making, which I think is absolutely adorable. It's just a little round slab that covers up his entire chest on top of his chain mail. But what I really enjoyed was that you could see his expression, like you could see the PTSD kind of kicking in from her banging on the metal and making his armor. So I really liked that. That kind of is all that the Foundling episode had to kind of show us and that Grogu became a Foundling. I really liked the little montage where he beat uh, Paz Vizsla's son and the little shooting darts thing. That was really cool. Um, I liked that there was that encouraging moment between Din um, and then Bo-Katan also stepped into where he was like, Grogu, it's okay to let people know you're a Jedi. Like, it's okay to show your skills. I know you're better than that. Because Grogu, deep down, and we saw from the flashback, that he's still afraid to show everyone that he is a Jedi and that he's afraid of, you know, a lot of things about his powers. Um, so that was very interesting. The next episode, where, which was Chapter 21, The Pirate, is where the people of Navarro needed protection from rampant pirate attacks, is the description of the episode. And this was a very, very good episode. It was, it went from the people of Navarro and the high magistrate kind of talking to these pirates, getting attacked, them fleeing the city. And then we also saw them reach out to Captain Carson Tiva. That was kind of very, uh, a very interesting little thing that they did there. I really liked that they included some of the people that had served before in the original trilogy. Um, Tiva uh, didn't really have much kind of going on for him at all. That was an interesting arc in and of itself. But the main thing that I kind of screamed about last week was that Zeb Aurelius is back in live action. They did a phenomenal job, again, calling to rebels. There's a reason that we're seeing all of these rebel callbacks. All right, there's, I'm going to drop probably with next week's review of the Mandalorian episodes, I'm probably going to include a theory of to where I think the finale will go as next week we'll get a better deal or idea of where everything is going to lead towards. Because like I said, I believe we only have two episodes left, which is hard to believe, but, you know, I'm very excited to see where everything uh, is taken from here. But in The Pirate, it's basically the Mandalorians. I like to call this episode Mandalorians Becoming Badasses Again. Because Mando tries to say, hey, we need to help the people of Navarro. You know, we need to stop being in hiding. All right, we are the Mandalorians. We are strong. We need to show ourselves to the world and let them know that Mandalorian culture is still alive. And then Paz Vizsla is like, you know what? I hated this guy for a long time, but he saved my son. So let's go take Mandalore back. And then Mando's like, yeah, there's a plot of land that uh, the High Magistrate Grief Karga, that's his name. I haven't been able to remember his name until now. Um, 
has said that there's a plot of land that we could also inhabit. So we would be out in the public again, but we'd also be back on Navarro, kind of where this all started, if you will, um, where there was an old armory and stuff like that. So it's kind of like just a bunch of action scenes of the Mandalorians taking that back. And I really, really like that. And the ending is where Bo-Katan finally tells the armorer about the mythosaur. And she's just like talking to her. There's this winded monologue. And she's like, you are going to be the one that reunites all of our people. You're going to reunite both worlds. And she kind of tells her to take off her helmet. And she's like, but the creed. And she's like, no, just take it off. And she comes back, and the armor is like, Bo-Katan walks both worlds. She will reunite everyone. And that episode ends with Tiva finding out, after an unsuccessful trip to the New Republic on Coruscant, that Moff Gideon's ship was broken into and left behind was Beskar Alloy. What Mandalorians or Mandalorian could have done this. I will cover that next week, but I have a very good theory as to where this all would be leading. It goes in tune with what I've been saying that people from Rebels are coming over to live action. And I know Moff Gideon knows a certain someone that Ahsoka would really, really like to meet. I'll leave it at that because next week I really want to create some suspense because that's when I will do a full in-depth you know, vision to what I think the ending of Mandalorian and beginning of Ahsoka could really, really do and the different angles we could start to see. But chapter 22 was, you know, spoilers ahead, if you will, but it was just a filler episode, really, where they kind of found out that Bo-Katan's crew still is doing its thang, and then the entire episode was just filler, got some cool celebrity cameos, seeing Jack Black and Lizzo in a Star Wars was not something I knew I needed, but they played they played their parts really, really well. I feel like those parts definitely uh, suited them for sure. I wasn't mad at it. There was a lot of star power. I also believe the guy that they arrested was a star, but I didn't know who he was because he was a bit of an older star. But the final pro- plot progression kind of happens in the last five minutes. Whereas Bo-Katan finds her old crew, challenges Alex or Axe Wolves or Woves to a hand-to-hand combat battle for her crew back. And he's like, you know, I'm the leader now. And it was cool to see Bo-Katan whoop some ass. Um, in the end, she ended up winning. And we get to the next biggest plot point that the Mandalorian has kind of been teasing with, teasing with, sorry, um, and toying around for probably the longest time. He says, you know, yes, she beat me in hand-to-hand combat, but you'll never reunite Mandalore. You don't even have the Darksaber. You you let some phony who doesn't even have a drop of Mandalorian blood in his veins carry the Darksaber. And we kind of get that moment as an audience to where we're like, well, shit, I don't like this guy, but he really does have a point. They have been kind of dicking around this oh, Mando has the Darksaber, when is he going to learn to use it? When is, you know, is Grogu going to use it? We see Bo-Katan pick it up. It seems like everybody knows how to use it but Mando. And everybody's trying to take it away because Mando just, he beat Moff Gideon in hand-to-hand combat. But what I think they need to do, he would whip it out on occasions, but it was nothing special. The Darksaber is such a powerful weapon for Mandalorians, and I feel like whoever has it, I feel like that has to be your main weapon. Like, yes, you can reach for your guns if it's like uh, like we're about to draw, 
But if you're in combat, it's just Darksaber because it just it trumps everything. Cool, your blaster bullets aren't working. Too bad, I have to freaking Darksaber. Let me just slice through literally anything because it's a, dark, it's a lightsaber for Mandalorians. So they've been just toying around with us, and it's kind of pathetic to watch Mando. And I, th- I there was a bunch of theories going around. Like, will Bo-Katan be the one to show him how to use it? Is Ahsoka going to show him? You know, is Sabine going to come in and show him how to use it? Is he going to meet Fen Rao, and he's going to show him how to use it? Nobody's showing Mando how to use this thing, so it's just collecting dust. But it's the first time we're seeing the Darksaber in live action. So Bo- So Mando steps forward. And I feel like this is very good character progression because he's very true to the creed. Even though he's been a side character this entire show, he steps up and he says, when I was on the planet of Mandalore trying to redeem myself, I was defeated by a creature. And Bo-Katan defeated said creature. So then not by the creed would she be the owner of the Darksaber. And then everyone kind of looks at him like, oh shit, he kind of, he just, he just figured out what we were all trying to get at. And he was like, he repeats himself. He's like, if she defeated who defeated me, does that not mean she is entitled to the Darksaber? And everyone's like, yes. And then he looks at her and he said, this is yours. And she takes it and we get this freaking amazing scene where she just kind of stands there. It's a big self-portrait and she just ignites the Darksaber. And then it cuts to the credits. And I like where this direction is going because Mando has had his time to learn the Darksaber, to learn how to use it. I would rather Mando have his jetpack, have his Beskar staff, and have his guns and all his fancy gadgets and just be such a badass bounty hunter, like top-tier skilled Mandalorian. But if he needs to do fighting, he pulls out his Beskar staff. Like, it's how he beat Moff Gideon. He knows how to use that. He doesn't know how to use the Darksaber. And we don't have enough time for him to learn how to use the Darksaber. Bo-Katan already knows how to use it. And now, that is going to make her uniting both worlds so much more easier. Because now she can just walk up to someone that's Mandalorian and be like, I'm not reuniting with Mandalore. She can just be like, shut your mouth, I have the Darksaber, I'm reuniting Mandalore. She is going to be the next Mandalore. Either that or Grogu, which I'll also get to next week probably because I'm sure there'll be something along with that. But overall for how the season has gone so far, I would probably give it a 7 out of 10. There is not – I don't mind Mando being a side character because I know they're trying to set up for the Ahsoka show. I know that they are making Bo-Katan a very important piece because they were going to bring somebody in from Rebels to be a part of the Ahsoka show. And I believe there's going to be a connection with her and Bo-Katan. So that's probably why they're progressing Bo-Katan so fastly is because I don't believe she's going to be around much in season four of Mandalorian. I saw a comment on an Instagram post the other day that said, I miss when it was just Mandalorian doing another side quest every other week. This is kind of it, but we also have to keep an open mindset. And what I mean by that is, yes, it's the Mandalorian, but the thing that these Star Wars shows are going to start doing is that they're just going to start making it like, yes, this is the main character of the show, but when we get to the third season, I don't know how many side quests with Mando I could tolerate anymore. We need some other people to help grow him as a human. He got back. He's part of the Creed. He got Grogu back. Bo-Katan was always a side character, and now she's kind of getting her point in the spotlight. Because we don't need a Bo-Katan show. We just need a couple parts of a couple episodes dedicated to Bo-Katan. And I feel like the season is doing just that, you know, to where we get to see uh, Mando kind of experience, you know, these are my friends. I'm still a badass Mandalorian, but, like, 
maybe I'm not the one meant to bring back Mandalore. It's Bo-Katan. So we're going to see how that plays out. So, and these shows could, you know, Bo-Katan could get her own spinoff, like a mini series or, you know, like a four episode special or something like that to where, you know, it's just her. But I mean, I don't mind it. Like I did, I did love when Mandalorian went on all these different side quests and got into trouble with Grogu and then had to save him. Those were really cool. And we could probably use one or two of those per season, but it's also nice because they're trying to grow the greater world. All right. They are building up to the sequels. So we have to do a lot of world building within these Disney plus shows. So I feel like that is definitely where they're going. Um, it's a 7 out of 10 because, like I said, this is the same thing that Disney runs to run in, runs into every time they do a TV show. Most of the episodes are too short. The episodes that are long aren't giving us the right qualities. It's kind of a shit show when it comes to that. But nonetheless, I'm very excited to see where the finale of... Mandalorian goes next week. You can expect a full theory video as well as my reaction to chapter 23 of the Mandalorian. Um, but yeah, so far I'm about a seven out of 10 because I really do like it and I'm excited for it every week to be able to watch it. But I do think there are a lot of things that they can improve on, but I feel like us as a star Wars community should probably be a little less toxic in terms of telling people, you know, Hey, the Mandalorian shouldn't be doing this or should be doing that. I kind of like the mentality of just let's stop talking. Whenever I sit down to watch it, my brain kind of just turns off. And I know that's not the best thing to do because it's good to be critical of shows. Because if we're not critical, then we just kind of passively enjoy everything and let companies get away with massive mistakes. But at the same time, I also just like there was a Zeb cameo. So that episode is just insane. I like the cameos. It, you know, sometimes if, if there's an episode that they released and it was like a 6 out of 10 and they gave a really good cameo, I'm bumping it up to a 7 out of 10 because I can see what they're trying to do for the future and for world building. So next episode, it's definitely going to be interesting what will happen there. I think that next episode, they might try to reunite another group of Mandalorians. And then the season finale is where everything will kind of hit the fan and really, really set up the Ahsoka show. But I will save pretty much all of that because there's not really much to theorize for next week's episode without theorizing for the finale. So I don't think they're going to do like a two-part finale. I think next week will just kind of be a different side quest. And then the ending of next week, like the last five minutes, will really set up the finale. So I have my thoughts within my head of how that's going to happen. So I'm hoping that next week we get a really good episode. I'm hoping for 40 minutes or longer in the runtime. And we'll see what happens. And I will hit you guys next week with that theorization video, as well as my reaction to chapter 23 of The Mandalorian. But other than that, as always, if you guys want more updates for this, you can follow my Instagram, the.marvelgalaxy, or I've started posting on TikTok, trying to grow my following, getting my viewers up. You know, hey, if you're one of those viewers that has listened this far and you're from TikTok, I greatly thank you. And if you are from TikTok, feel free to reach out to me in the direct messages. Let me know how you're liking the content, if you've checked out any other episodes or what have you. So with that being said, this is Evan Kornick signing off.